All right, can you hear me? Great. Awesome. Thank you, Ollie, for your prayers. Thanks, Paul, for giving me another gap in the pulpit. That might be a good sign. I'm not sure. But thanks so much, and thanks, yeah, for the Stellcare team for coming. I think when we sit here in the church, it's beautiful to see people coming alongside and getting stuck in for Serve Clutisville. It's great for me to be part of the Serve Stellenbosch team, but I know also working on the other side that it's really about the work that you all are doing day in and day out. So thank you for allowing us into your space as a church and allowing us to serve uh, in your community. And, and to Judy, it's really good to see you. We go uh, back some years and through Training for Changes, and she was just such a loving mother's heart, used to bake cakes for the kids and make uh, meals for the kids when we went to play away when her son Enrico was part of Training for Changes. So that was a nice su surprise. You welcome and it's great to see you here um, so but with in any case without further ado I'll invite Debs um, to read Ruth chapter 3 for us um, and if you know me by now you guys can please all stand for the reading of God's Word um, and listen as Debs reads on for us so thank you Ruth you can turn to Ruth chapter 3 or you'll find it up on the screen behind us so Ruth at the threshing floor one day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with these young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor and don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice when, where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking as, and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of a pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she replied. Spray the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty than you did before, for you have not gone after younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I'll do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if, if he's not willing, then surely, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth laid Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it, spread it out. He measured six cubes of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, he gave me six cubes of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Ruth said to her, then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. 
Thanks. Have a seat. Thank you so much, Debs. Beautifully read. It was only after the fact that I asked her to to read for us that um, I thought I should probably ask if you like standing up in front of people or not. And she only told me this morning that she doesn't like it at all. So sorry about that. But well done. Thank you for reading. Um, yeah, and I think it is great to be working through a story about a woman during Women's Month in South Africa and to have it read by a woman this morning. It's beautiful. And next week, um, we're going to have a woman in the pulpit explaining the story to us. So I'm excited to hear from Sarah next week. But um, today you're stuck with me. So we'll see how far we get. Um, this is the fourth message in the book of Ruth. Uh, if you have been following along, you'll know by now that Ruth is a story about God's redeeming grace. And it's a beautiful story. Paul and I were just chatting earlier about what a great story it is um, and how much there is to learn from it. And I think just as we were praying this morning, I was struck about how relevant this book is to us uh, today here in South Africa. I think we always want to be careful not to rush to place ourselves into scripture, but rather to to learn more about God from it in his story. But I think it's just so relevant in a time when we see that women are marginalized and women are subject to all sorts of violence um, when they're excluded from the economy. Um, and we are reminded afresh this morning uh, through the book of Ruth that God has a special place in his heart and in his, in his kingdom. And he puts these um, unlikely women at the center of his story. And I think we'll still see that unfold uh, next week and through the, the final passage about the genealogy. Um, so it's beautiful and it's a privilege for me to be here. Um, if you can remember back to the first message of the book, Paul uh, walked us through the introduction and he gave us a few tools to help us um, understand better what we're reading and also to understand how scripture remains relevant to us today all these years later. And then Bates shared from chapter one, uh, the primary focus of the story was about Naomi and, and her husband um, walking away from God when they faced hard times and, and they sought to take control of their own future. And then later on, her decision to return to Bethlehem after she had lost everything in Moab. And of course, we wouldn't have this book unless uh, Ruth decided to return with her. So Naomi had said in chapter one that she wanted to no longer be called Naomi. She wanted to be called bitter. She said, for the, the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And I went away full from Israel, but the Lord has brought me home empty. And so despite her being in this kind of desperate situation, um, we see Ruth stand by her and leave her own home in Moab and go to Israel to live with Naomi. And there's that famous quote also there from Ruth where she told Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. It's quite a powerful story already, and then in Nathan's message last week, he took us through chapter 2, showing us just how vulnerable Ruth was as she went to glean grain in the fields. Ruth and Naomi were widows, they had lost everything, um, and so here back in Israel, they resorted to this practice from the Levitical law where they were able to go, um, and God had ordained this law where they were able to go and, and um, work in the field so that they could earn a living for themselves and for their family. And 
Of course, it turned out that the field that Ruth went to work in belonged to a man named Boaz, and we're told in chapter 2 that Boaz was a wealthy and an influential man, and it turns out that he was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And in chapter 2, Boaz showed lavish kindness to Ruth. He told her, I know everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And may the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And farther on in chapter 2, we were introduced to this term, the family redeemer, or other passages or other translations call it the kinsman redeemer. Um, and Nathan showed us that that also was from the Levitical law. It was another important practice that God ordained to care for the vulnerable and also to reveal his heart for justice. And today's story in chapter 3 is going to take us a bit deeper into the Redeemer practice. And actually, chapter 4 as well, Ruth 3 and 4 are the main passages of Scripture where we see this whole idea of the kinsman Redeemer really in action. And the whole concept of the kinsman redeemer beautifully foreshadows for us our own redeemer, Jesus. Um, and so I hope you'll grasp that a bit today as we go through chapter 3. Um, and so we're going to go through verse by verse, and I want us to dive in uh, just now. But if you can remember back to Paul's message, the first tool that he told us uh, to use when we're, when we're studying scripture is prayer. Um, and so I want us to get started with prayer and then to get stuck into the word. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that all scripture is God-breathed. God it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us now. I pray that you would give me the words that you want me to say and that you would open our hearts to you this morning so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you have prepared in advance for us to do. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right, so the first tool was prayer. Can anyone remember the second tool that Paul um, shared with us? Don't start with me in 2023, exactly. So if ever there was a chapter of Scripture where that tool was relevant, I think it's Ruth chapter 3, because if you don't use that tool, this whole side of the room is going to start thinking this is some very interesting dating advice, but okay, we can <laughs> put it to work. Um, so yeah, it's super important. Don't start with me in 2023 as we get into this passage. Um, I think as we do get started, there are a number of things that I want to pull out before we go verse by verse, but I just want to pull out a couple of things that I think we could use some cultural context on, and definitely uh, the kinsman redeemer will be one. But if you look in, in, in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and, or in verse 2, um, we see that this story is still taking place like chapter 2 around the harvest. Um, and so there was this period of seven or eight weeks around April, May, um, where there was the harvest period, and then it was first the barley, and then it was the wheat after that. And so I'm not a farmer, but um, from what I understand, you know, you collect the grain in the fields, and then they take it to this threshing floor, uh, which is the scene of this story. And at the threshing floor, you would find kind of a big 
circular area that was probably about 10 meters in diameter and it was usually up on a hill where it would be exposed to the wind and then it had this a hard floor so either a rock floor or a hard kind of clay floor where they would come and they would dump the grain and then they would bring the oxen or donkeys or whatever in and the and the animals would pull these heavy wooden sled type of things and as it went over the grain it would break up the grain and then um, you would move on to the winnowing so you can see here that um, Naomi said tonight he'll be winnowing barley so winnowing was basically when you take a pitchfork and you throw this grain that's been broken up up into the air and the wind blows through and it separates um, the good grain from the chaff and so that's a uh, type of language that's used throughout scripture um, and that I think helps us to know what exactly Boaz was doing out here and what they were busy with and during this time um, of winnowing they would also the farm workers would tend to sleep at the threshing floor um, as an extra level of security to protect their crops from being stolen. And while they were out there, winnowing was also a time of, of celebrating uh, the harvest, a successful harvest. So it was, a, it was a joyous mood, but it was a time of, I guess, hence the, the drinking in the evening, um, but it was also a time of, of hard work and um, an important time in the life cycle of the people. So that's why he was out there. Um, and that's what they were doing there. But then there's still this whole bizarre scene, um, or it's bizarre to us, where Ruth sneaks up on Boaz in the middle of the night, and she says, spread the, cornering, the, the, spread the corner of your covering over me. And it seems interesting and unusual and, and far removed from our culture, but this was a culturally appropriate symbol of entering into a marriage relationship. So there was nothing really funny going on. It was really just Ruth coming to Boaz and, and asking him to fulfill his obligation as the family redeemer, which we'll come back to later. And the similar language is used in Ezekiel chapter 16, God speaking to Israel and he tells them, I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declared my marriage vows. I've made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. And Nathan also shared with us last week, uh, Psalm 57, I think it was, um, it uses similar language also to what we read about in chapter 2. Um, the psalmist writes, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection, and I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings. So all of this was culturally relevant language where Ruth was seeking out provision and protection. And so that kind of hopefully gives us a bit of context for what we're going to read here. Um, at the end of chapter 2, if you can remember, Naomi was filled with excitement and hope after this period of desperation in chapter 1. She begins to be filled with excitement and hope because of the overwhelming kindness that Boaz showed to Ruth. And so she's feeling inspired again. In chapter 3, in verse 1, we see her taking an initiative to find a permanent home for Ruth. She says, my daughter, it's time I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. And I think this is in contrast to chapter 1, where then we saw Naomi and her husband trying to take control of their future and making plans to secure themselves, but that time they were doing so directly disobeying God's will because they left Israel 
and went to Moab, which was a place that they shouldn't be. And so they were walking directly in contrast to what God had told them. But this time around, she's bearing in mind this ordinance, the, the kinsman redeemer ordinance that God had set in place. And so um, for me, as I was reading it, I was really struck um, of the contrast between chapter one and chapter three. I think Naomi had experienced the pain and emptiness that resulted from turning her back on God's command. And now here in chapter three, we find her anticipating the pleasure and the fullness of surrendering to God's design. So she hatched this plan, and at first it seems like she's like a busybody matchmaker. Um, and if she was, then I think it's actually Ruth and Boaz are a bit of an odd couple, uh, because he was this powerful landowner, and she was this completely powerless poor widow, Ruth was. Boaz was an influential Israelite businessman, and Ruth was this poor immigrant day laborer. And so at, on the face of it, it didn't exactly make sense, and there was this whole power dynamic at play, but nevertheless, um, Ruth continued to show her loyal love um, to Naomi, and she said in verse 5, she says, I'll do everything you say. And then she went down to the threshing floor and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. So remember, it sounds easy when we, when we read it and it's okay, I'll do whatever you say, but Ruth was extremely vulnerable in this social context. Anything could have happened to her out there alone in the dark, um, at the threshing floor, surrounded by the farmers, and no offense to farmers, um, but if I had a teenage daughter um, or a young daughter, um, I would not think the first place that I would send her to hang out is to the threshing floor. Uh, alone at night. It just seems like anything could go wrong out there. Um, but Ruth trusted Naomi, and she trusted Boaz. And so we read that she did everything that Naomi told her to do. And if you look with me at verse 7, um, it says that after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain, and he went to sleep. And then Ruth came quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now this isn't the first time that Ruth humbled herself at Boaz's feet. Back in chapter 2, verse 10, we read that um, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done, she said, to deserve such kindness, for I am only a foreigner. But here she is again at Boaz's feet. And in verse 8, we read that around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet, as you would be. Um, you can just imagine him being there and bleary-eyed and thinking, who are you? And when I was reading about this, it reminded me sometimes, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night and... Uh, Sammy's like standing right there next to me at the side of the bed and it's like you get this fright like my goodness what is going on um, so I imagine it was sort of like that but um, and then I thought well I haven't yet woken up to find Kendra like curled around my feet um, but uh, let's see there's still time so <laughs> um, 
yeah, anyways, I digress from the story, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so here is this powerful moment um, that Ruth has been waiting for. She's put herself out there. She's probably rehearsed this line over and over and over. Boaz asks, who are you? And then she says, I am your servant. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. So she got up the courage to deliver this line, and then I can imagine that it felt like an eternity waiting to see what Boaz was going to do. What was he going to reply? And remember, he was, as I said, they were sleeping out here because they were on the lookout for thieves, and so he would have also been hypervigilant probably at this time. She was further at risk waking this guy up when he was on edge. And she was the single lady, as I said, out there, powerless, out on the threshing floor waiting to see how this powerful man was going to respond to her marriage proposal. And so I can just imagine, you know, it felt like an eternity waiting as the seconds ticked by. On a side note, does anyone know what type of man Boaz was before he got married? Hmm? Ruthless, yeah. He got a... <laughs> Got a bright future with dad jokes, so he was ruthless, yes. He was, yeah, thank you. Nailed it. So, yeah, anyways, it's not true, but Sammy wanted me to fit in the dad joke, so thanks, Debs, for backing me up. Uh, we're actually told in chapter 2 that Boaz is a man of noble character. And here he keeps his calm and he shows his character and he delivers this great response to Ruth uh, that we read from verse 10 onwards. He says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. You're showing even more loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I'll do whatever is necessary. For everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. While it's true I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I'll redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And if we look at the, the overarching narrative from Ruth chapter 1 to verse 4, um, I might get this wrong, but for me, I think this is kind of the climax of the whole story. So Naomi and Ruth had been looking for redemption. They had come out of, in, in chapter 1, this period of desperation. In chapter 2, where they were struggling still for survival, um, and they needed that hope for their future. And now in this moment, Boaz assures Ruth that she's going to be taken care of. And he says he, he will ensure that the family redeemer fulfills their role, whether he does it or whether this other relative does it. Um, and so I would say that this redeeming love brings a sense of joy and relief and a little bit of clarity. Um, but there are also still a lot of questions about how exactly and when exactly this whole process is going to resolve itself and how things are going to unfold. But I think this story has very much been building up to this point. And verse 14 tells us that Ruth laid at Boaz's feet until morning, and she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. 
And so the more that we read this story in 2023, I think our human nature really wants to read between the lines. I think if this was a Netflix series or if this was a movie, um, the whole thing would have played out definitely in a way that was probably rated 18 plus, you know, but the author shows us that nothing sexual or nothing immoral was going on here. In fact, in the middle of this dialogue, uh, Boaz tells Ruth, everyone in town knows that you're a virtuous woman, or other translations say everyone knows that you're a woman of noble character. And so it's the same Hebrew word that's used in chapter 2 to describe Boaz is used again to describe Ruth. And it's also used in Proverbs 31. You might be familiar with that passage. It's describing a wife of noble character who works hard to care for her family and she loves the Lord. So Ruth here is very much taking charge of her family's future. And she's doing so in a way that doesn't compromise her values. She's doing so in a way that reaffirms her commitment to Yahweh, the God of Israel, that she committed to in chapter 1, when she told Naomi, your God will be my God. Before she left to go back to town, Boaz, we read, Boaz gave her six scoops of barley. It doesn't say what the measurement was that we used, that he used here, so we don't know if, like Nathan told us last week, that she could make 672 slices of bread from this, I don't know. Um, but I do think it was just another display of Boaz's lavish kindness towards Ruth and Naomi. And there's some speculation that this, uh, this gift could have been some sort of Lobola type of payment to Naomi, saying that he will commit to marrying Ruth, but we don't know exactly. Um, and so I think it's important to focus on what we do know. And that's that at the end of this chapter, at the end of chapter 3, Ruth goes back to Naomi with this sense of hope and joy. And she says to Naomi everything that happened. And Naomi responds saying, be patient, my daughter. Until we hear what happens, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. And so there's this hopeful anticipation that I spoke about already. And it's because of what's been promised Naomi and Ruth are still waiting for the final resolution to what's going to happen. Um, and that's why you need to come back next week because Sarah is the one who's going to give us all the juicy details about the romantic wedding between Ruth and Boaz. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, do come back because I think it's going to be it's quite a good one tying up the story. So this chapter is ending. This scene, the whole story of Ruth is sort of set in four distinct scenes and this scene is ending here with this already and not yet type of tension. There is a certain assurance because Boaz has said that he is going to redeem Ruth and so that's going to secure the future of Naomi's family and the family name. But there's also this bit of uncertainty because we're not told yet how things are going to work out. Naomi said, watch and wait and let's see how things will go but we know that this man won't rest until he has settled things. And it reminds me of this, it's the same sort of tension that we live with as followers of Jesus all these thousands of years later. John 1930, uh, we read that Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, the work is done. And yet we know sitting here today that everything is not fully perfected for us in this world. 
So I think we're still very much looking forward to what we read about in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4, where it says that God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We're not there yet, but even this language of of living with them and they will be his people, it's somehow similar to the language that we read about here, and especially in Ruth chapter 1. And Ruth, I think, all throughout the story lived with this faith um, in God that she, she knew he was working things out for, his, for her good and for his glory. And I think she drew strength from God's redeeming love, even while things were being worked out. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter one, or in eleven, chapter eleven, verse one. Sorry, uh, that faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see, and I think that's exactly what we read in in the chapter here and throughout the story of Ruth. Is the strong faith of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So in this story, as the family redeemer, Boaz is a type of uh, Christ-like figure. But Boaz had a, an obligation under the Levitical law to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And Jesus had no such obligation to redeem us. We can't earn our redemption by our works. We don't deserve our redemption because we're some sort of good people. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us that no one is good, no one is righteous. The Bible tells us that we are redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. And that's what I want us to be reminded of this morning as we read the story of Ruth. If you follow Jesus, I think that this story should cause you to reflect on God's redemptive love in your own life. I think we should allow it to transform our hearts and our minds. We should allow the story about God's redeeming love to inspire us so that we can live in ways that daily reflect his love, just like Ruth did. And if you don't follow Jesus, I think what you can take away from this moment is that you should know that Jesus gave his life to redeem you. And he wants you to respond this morning by acknowledging your need for a redeemer and for accepting God's love and faith, just like Ruth did in this story. And so that's it. I want us to sit with this already not yet type of tension, appreciating what God has done for us, appreciating his redeeming love, and look forward as we go out from church later this morning to how he will continue working this out in our lives on a daily basis. And I want us to come back 
for the res resolution of the story uh, over the next two weeks, and I think it's going to be beautiful to see the way um, that God's hand is at work here and how he's continuing working out his story from generation to generation. Let's pray as we close. Yahweh, we thank you for your loyal love. We thank you that your love continues from generation to generation. We thank you for the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. We thank you that your hand is at work in all of our lives, accomplishing your purposes even as we sit here this morning. We pray that you would open our eyes to you, Lord. Show us who you are. Give us the strength and the courage to live in faith and lead us in your love to those around us today and in the week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.